This is Radio 4, the station that's full of wacky broadcasting lunacy. White Viking Docker, Southwest 2, losing its identity for the next few days. Weak automatic, rising more slowly, increasing 5 or 6, occasionally 7 for a time, occasionally poor. Good. 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 Thank you. But first... This man is suffering from an attack of the arias. How painful. Now then, sir, say ah. Just what I thought. He's out of tune. Take these tuning forks three times a day. And lose some weight. Thank you, Doctor. Later tonight on Radio 4, yet another edition of Name That Cow. Is it Timmy? No, Derek, it's not Timmy. Frank? Uh, I rather think it might be Rupert. Sorry, Frank, I rather think you're wrong. <laughs> Eric, any idea? I'm going to plump for... Colin. Colin? Yes. What a ridiculous answer. I've never heard anything so stupid. Get out. <laughs> That's later to no avail here on Radio 4. But now, before anyone realises what we're doing, we present the 33th edition of the Nothing To Do With Anything show. And here comes your own, your very own, because nobody else wants him, John Dredge, travelling by train, plane and automobile at the same time for maximum impact. Hello, with Maximum Impact. And without delay, here's our much-loved theme tune. It's a gas! All right, who put that delay on it? Stan Grutz. Who's he? It's the bloke who put a delay on it. I want him fired. Oh, but what about his wife and kids? Oh, yes. Yes, you're right, of course. Fire them as well. Oh, well, while I do that, here's a sketch in which Mr John Dredge plays the part of an Eskimo. Yes, it's an Arctic role. Hang on, hang on. I am not going to the Arctic. I have it on good authority that it's freezing this time of year. I'd much prefer to do this sketch instead. Oh, uh, right. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we might get away with it. Ah, that's much better. What a lovely location for a sketch. A veritable island paradise drenched in sunlight, surf and other detergents. All right, who wrote in that explosion? Stan Grutz. He says that's for sacking his wife and kids. Perhaps then, while I rearrange my facial features, 
We should take a few moments to catch up on your correspondence in Dear Dredge. We start with a letter from Mrs Enid from Stockton-on-Tees, who asks, Dear Dredge, I really enjoyed last week's Nothing to Do with Anything show, except for that Judge Dredd chap. Would it be possible to replace him with the test card, or possibly a well-known phrase or saying? Well, Enid, perhaps your brain could be replaced, if indeed you have one. God bless. James Prool has dropped us a line from Stockton Off Tees, and he writes, Dear Dredge, I seem to have mislaid everything. I had it with me when I went to sleep last night, but couldn't find it when I woke up this morning. What should I do? Well, the most important thing, James, is not to panic. And to help calm you down at what must be an extremely stressful time, here's some meditative music we prepared earlier. God bless. Here's a letter from Ernie Cranks of Stockton on the Turn, who writes, Dear Dredge, last week my uncle's mother took part in your boil your uncle's mother in a bag feature. We haven't seen her since. Can you help? Sadly, in this particular case, Eric, I am unable to give you any sort of answer due to ongoing legal issues. But God bless all the same. An email now, my goodness, we really are bang up to date, from Ethel Tuner of Leeds, who writes, Dear Dredge, I booked a holiday in Italy a few months back, paying for my flight and accommodation online. Unfortunately, I had to cancel due to pressure of work, but there was no option to do this on the internet. I then contacted the travel agent, who said they were unable to do anything about it. What I wanted to ask is, why are my emails so boring? The most likely answer, Ethel, is that some people are just very, very dull. Which brings us to our next guest, weather forecaster, director and general nutcase, David Lunch. David Lynch! I beg your pardon, I haven't eaten all day. In that case, have my yoghurt. That's very generous of you. Ah, it's gone off! While I put my limbs back in the correct order, would you mind telling us the weather for the next few days? I can't make the forecast last that long, John, but I'll try and make it accurate. That'll be a first. The coming week is going to be a bit strange, with occasional enthusiasm in Kent, but a severe lack of interest in the Durham area. I've never been interested in the Durham area. How interesting. There will also be high winds on low ground and low winds on high ground without breaks in peculiar areas. You live in a peculiar area, don't you, David? Just the fact that you live there makes it peculiar. Please, John, interrupt not my weather forecast or confusion you will create. Understand that I do. Good. The long-term outlook is for more frequent weather bulletins after the news, with temperatures ranging from 42 centigrade all the way up to gas mark 5. The forecast for tomorrow? Terrible. Well, it will be if you do it. Thanks anyway, David, and good luck in your next job. And now, Bed at Book Time returns, with the first instalment of The Secret Seven by Enid Blyton. But never mind. One morning, the Secret Seven were playing in Peter's front garden. This is fun, said Peter, but it's a shame there don't seem to be any mysteries around to solve at the moment. 
That is mysterious, said Colin. Let's keep an eye out for anything unusual, said Vera. What about that car, said Janet, who had noticed a car? It looks ordinary enough, said Peter. Too ordinary by half, said Janet. Yes, and look at the man in the driving seat, said Noreen. He looks even more ordinary. The Secret Seven hid behind the garden fence as, slowly but surely, a very ordinary-looking man got out of the car, removed a couple of large items from the boot and changed what appeared to be a flat tyre before getting back in and driving away. That was mysteriously ordinary, exclaimed Peter. It all seems very peculiar, said Norman. Perhaps we should go to the police and see what they make of it. I've got a better idea, exclaimed Peter, even more exclamatorially. We'll have a secret meeting in the secret shed first thing tomorrow morning. The next day's meeting was full of excitement, although you'd be forgiven for thinking it wasn't. Look at Scamper, exclaimed Norman. He's sitting there just like a dog. Everyone laughed at this hilariously appropriate observation, so much so that the meeting didn't begin for another half an hour, by which time they had all just about recovered. Now, what shall we do about the mystery of the ordinary car? said Peter, sounding awfully important. I've just thought of something, exclaimed Janet, sounding even more important and even more awful. What have you thought of? said Norman. Oh dear, said Janet, I've forgotten. But it was an awfully good idea. Don't worry, Janet. It was a jolly good idea to have an awfully good idea, said Peter. Why don't we go out to where we were yesterday and see if the car comes back, said Vera. Agreeing that this was the best idea they'd ever had today, the Secret Seven went front into the back garden, realised their mistake and went back into the front garden. They waited and waited. Suddenly, four days later, they heard something approaching. It's a car, exclaimed Vera. Shh, stop exclaiming, said Peter. You'll give us away. That's rich coming from you, said Vera. What do you mean, exclaimed Peter. You're always exclaiming, said Vera. You did it again there. Now is not the time to argue about who exclaimed and who didn't, interjected Janet. Ooh, hark at her interjecting, said Peter bitchily. Calm down, all of you, said William, thankful for a line of dialogue. Let's keep quiet and see what happens next. The sound of the car got nearer and nearer and then finally it drove into view. It's a completely different car, said Peter, trying his very best not to exclaim but failing miserably. How peculiar, said Janet. And then, as quickly as it had arrived, the car vanished into the distance. I've never seen anything quite so queer and peculiar, not to mention odd, said Norman. Now I'm definitely going to the police. Good idea, said Peter. Perhaps they can help us discover just exactly what is going on. There are more surprises in store in tomorrow's instalment, when the Secret Seven are charged with wasting police time. Having trouble opening the door to your private jet? Yeah, 
At this rate, me and the missus ain't going to get out of the country before the new tax year starts. Then you need the new Jonko private jet door opener. Simply latch the loom sprocket to the plinth, winch the cogwheel into position and attach the fibreglass pinion scratch to the faulty door handle. Within no time, the door will be open for you to board and you'll be taking off for the tax haven of your accountant's choice. Whether you own a Gulfstream G550, a Learjet 75 or even an old Cessna, the Jonko private jet door opener will never let you down. And at a low, low cost of £20,000.99, it's perfect for use both on the ground or in the air. You call this a private jet head? It's more like an air ring cupboard. Enid down the road's got one much bigger than this. You don't bang your head as you get on. Where'd you get this champagne, Ted? Oops, fam, it tastes like... Cayman Islands, here I come. Thanks, Jonko. The new Jonko private jet door opener. It literally opens doors. Bet it took ages to come up with that one. For generations, the nothing-to-do-with-anything show Giant Catapult has been the ballistic device of choice for those wishing to fire someone into the great beyond, or even further. From disgraced celebrities to the highest elected representatives in the land, the nothing-to-do-with-anything show Giant Catapult has proved to be the most reliable, efficient and accurate means of launching human projectiles of any shape or size into the distance. Now, thanks to scientific advances and stuff, you too can have a nothing-to-do-with-anything show giant catapult of your own. A catapult that will brighten up any rooftop or balcony, get your neighbours talking, and keep undesirable elements away from both you and your mother. The Nothing To Do With Anything show Giant Catapult is shipped flat-packed, but is quick and easy to construct. I was firing the wife into the sea in less than an hour. <laughs> so long, missus! What sold the Nothing To Do With Anything show Giant Catapult to me was its green credentials. I used to have to get up early every morning and drive the kids to school. Now I get a lie-in and they get first-hand experience of physics in action. By altering the dial on the side of the nothing-to-do-with-anything show Giant Catapult, you can launch anyone you want 20, 30, even 40 miles away. Oh, better go for 20, son. I'm not a professional. Right you are, Gren. Just some of the seven purchasers of the nothing-to-do-with-anything show Giant Catapult we were able to track down on condition of anonymity. Yes, there's never been a better time to buy a giant catapult. So, if you're going to buy a giant catapult, buy a catapult you can count on. The Nothing To Do With Anything show Giant Catapult. Just $29.99 plus £970 shipping. The Nothing To Do With Anything show Giant Catapult. Firing people further and furtherer since 2011. Order yours today. Reading your letters.
We're not having your letters today. Peter Pillbeam here, TripAdvisor expert and almost professional hotel critic. I did apply to join the National Association of Professional Hotel Critics, but they'd heard of me. This week I shall be reviewing the annual TripAdvisor conference weekend in Swanage. It's where anyone who's everyone in the TripAdvisor field goes in order to meet like-minded people. I say like-minded, but a lot of the people I met there were complete idiots. Despite this, I did seem to have an enormous amount in common with them. The weekend largely consisted of comparing all the hotels we've stayed in and been thrown out of. Here then is my detailed review of the weekend, which I have cut from its original running time into handy bite-sized chunks. Part 1 of 48. Part 1 of 1, that's all you're getting. (laughs) women. I arrived at the Castleton Grand, where the conference was being held, in a good frame of mind, ready for a full weekend of critical analysis. However, the location of the hotel was not exactly convenient, being several miles away from where I live. I would advise them to move nearer to my home if they want a decent review in the future. On arrival, I was shown to my room by the manager, who was wearing a grey shirt that was very poorly designed. Surely my arrival could have been brightened by a yellow jumper or some orange slacks. He had only left me to unpack for a couple of minutes when I noticed my room had become incredibly hot. On closer inspection, I noticed that it was on fire. I called the front desk and the manager attended immediately, suggesting that the inferno might have been caused by the can of petrol lying on a gas hob I'd turned on instead of the bedside lamp, but it could have been anything. I told him that I always carry a full can of petrol wherever I go in case there are no garages around and the fact that I don't own a car myself is neither here nor there. To be honest, I didn't much care for his tone. It wasn't my fault I had been holding the petrol when I tripped over the carpet, which had been left carelessly on the floor. Any road, once the fire had been doused, which took much longer than it should have done, it was off to the convention in the main hall to see various trip advisors of varying ability give various talks. It was, in a word, very varied. The first speaker was unimpressive. I could barely hear him until I took out the earplugs I'd been wearing to drown out the noise of the fire engines. Sadly, I only heard the end of his speech, which as far as I can recall was, Good night. Not very thorough. Another speaker on the bill was a trip advisor from Carlisle, but that wasn't necessarily his fault. He gave a pleasingly detailed speech about the quality of hotel food. I greatly identified with his speech, so much so, in fact, that I decided to join in. I made my contributions from the floor, primarily because another delegate who was trying to listen punched me so hard I fell onto it. My enthusiasm was not to be derailed, however, and to show support, I decided to join the speaker on stage and add my own observations. I was going down remarkably well until I was escorted out of the venue and told not to return for the rest of the weekend. When I reminded the manager that I had booked a room, the porter brought me my bags. I did not tip him. 
After spending what can only be described as an unpleasant night in a bush on the periphery of the car park, I decided to return the next morning while no one was looking. I re-entered the building via the drain pipe, which to my mind was badly in need of repair. Scrambling in through a barely open window, which did not improve the stuffy atmosphere one bit, I sneaked back into the main hall, where a discussion on the merits or otherwise of TripAdvisor was in progress. Once again, I truly felt I belonged up on that stage with the rest of the panel and resolved to get up there as soon as possible. To ensure I was not recognised, I removed my glasses and put on what I thought was a hat. Unfortunately, it turned out to be a plant pot and once I had upturned it onto my head, I could not avoid the onset of soil. Hoping this would add to my admittedly unusual disguise, I made my way towards the stage, knocking into several cumbersome tables that were so badly made they toppled over onto onlookers. So much for health and safety. Finally, I found myself on the stage, and with no chairs available for late participants, yet another oversight, I stood in front of the panel and declared myself ready for TripAdvisor action. I'm sorry to say that at this point, no fewer than three security guards decided to poke their noses in, and after a scuffle that was totally uncalled for, they threw me roughly into the street. I say roughly, by this point I didn't have my glasses on and could not be certain exactly where I had landed. Sadly, I was unable to get back into the hotel for the rest of the weekend, despite masquerading as a priest, a guardsman and an astronaut. Needless to say, I found the conference unfriendly, poorly organised and unnecessarily violent. And I have resolved to steer clear of it in future, unless I'm invited back. I've been to worse. Narden. After several requests on social media from last week's guest, Gwen Puce, we finally feel compelled to present the avant-garde pineapple sketch, featuring an all-star comedy cast of Michael McKean, Melissa McCarthy, Mike Myers, Megan Mullally, Miriam Margulies and Michael Moorcock, who we accidentally hired instead of Michael Moore. It also features Malcolm McDowell in a special guest appearance as Marilyn Monroe, and music by Michael McDonald and Malcolm Muggeridge. ordered an Uber. Why, if it isn't Farmer Collins, our 15th most popular character. Oh, out of how many? 14. Oh, well, it's the taking part that counts. Have a chicken. <laughs> Tar, what have you been up to since Met We Last? I've been writing a song about life on the farm. You've already written 800 songs on the exact same subject. Might you be running out of steam? Not at all, John. I've got plenty of steam. And there's more where that came from. Could somebody open a window? Have a goat. (laughs) I hope you don't mind me pointing this out, Farmer Collins, but your songs do all seem to be written for a very specific market. Arr, the farmer's market in Broccoli. You'll find me there every month, rocking the microphone after the cattle auction. I take it you're going to sing for us now, unless you can be persuaded otherwise. What I thought I'd do was give your listeners a little treat and perform an exclusive preview of my latest number, The Farming Implements Lament. Here we go, two, three, four, five... Down on the farm, I've got a lot of implements to help with irrigation and basic pest control. Loading and milking our 
harvest in the park in the row much quicker and easier on the old. Plows, chisels, trimmers, pumps, hay forks. That's me new A-side, which drops next week on Compost Records. After hearing that, I simply can't wait for the B-side. Coming right up, John. No, I was being sarcastic. I'm living on a farm. I'm living on a great big farm. I'm living on a farm. I'm living on a far from farm. I'm living on a farm. I'm not living on an uncle's farm or me brother Bill's farm. I'm living on me very own farm. Your farm's nowhere near Kent. Ever heard of artistic licence, John? Yes, but it would be a shocking state of affairs if you were ever allowed to hold one. All right, don't have a cow, man. Oh, you've already got one. Yes, Derek? Uh, is the cow's name Lionel? No, Derek, you're thinking of Lionel, who's gone home. Oh, yes, I I lent him his bus fare. Frank? Well, initially, I thought it was Robbie. Uh, Then I toyed with the vague notion that it might have been Veronica before flirting with the possibility that it could be Vaverden. But I think I'm going to settle for Roger. I'm afraid it's not Roger. That's... Eric! How'd you get back in? I have as much right to be on this show as you do. Well, I suppose you'd better have another guest, then. Thank you. I'll go for... Graham. We're looking for the correct answer, stupid god. You are so thick. (laughs) It's usually much easier when I play along at home. Clement Fraud? Is it Nigel? It is Nigel, yes! But then again, it always is. Well done as usual, Clement. Join us again next time. Same time, same channel, same show, same guests, same cow! And that brings us to the end of another Nothing To Do With Anything show, which was written and performed by John Dredge, with the producer Richard Cray, and our superb cast of cast-offs, namely Paul Creasy, Max Dowler, Miles Eady, Greg Haste, James Shakeshaft, and Katie Slater. Thanks also to Jeremy Ray for providing technical assistance and additional lemon meringue pies. And so until next time, it's goodbye. And in the words of Henry, the hysterical horse... (laughs) God bless. Ah, it's another show done and dusted. Yes, thanks for doing the dusting. I would have done it myself, but, you know, I don't own a duster. Yeah. It's good to hear from Henry the hysterical horse again. Yes, although I can't quite understand why he's more popular than I am. Can't you? Shut your face on the way out, will you, Richard?